center of our lives. And help us to crown you, Lord, over all. We truly pray this, Lord. We truly mean this. I know the people in this room are seeking after you. And we join in one voice to praise you. And as we hear from your word, will you draw us near to you, Jesus? Illuminate our minds. And as we behold you in your word, may you even mold us to become more like Jesus. We pray all this and lift this up in your name, Jesus. Amen. If I could have a seat. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3, that'd be great. Good to see you this morning and welcome online. Uh, we're continuing our series through this book and hallelujah, we came to a much more straightforward passage. So the passage itself is not going to be overly complex as we work our way through it. Um, the real challenge, as is often the case, is then what does this mean for our lives uh, before we dive in, I, I was actually thinking about a pet that we used to have, a dog named Chai. And I had a pet name for our pet. If, can you have a pet name for a pet or are all names for pets? Pets, I, I don't know. Uh, but I had a specific name. Everyone else called her Chai, and I called her Dum 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 Dog. That's, that was my, uh, and it wasn't harsh. I wasn't meaning it in any it was just descriptive, right? She was a dumb, 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 dumb dog. And, and we had this understanding, and that's, that was my name for her. And in part, it arose out of her behavior. I didn't just grab that out of nowhere. I watched her, and it's like, that's really dumb. So, for instance, we have a pool in our backyard, and it would get really hot sometimes in the summer, and she wouldn't go in the pool. She was afraid of the water. She wouldn't jump in. That was like her biggest nightmare. She would, if it got super hot, get on the top step and cool that much of her little feet, and then she'd jump out again. And uh, that, was, that was it. She was a dumb, 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 dumb dog. Here's this big, cool place that she could be, and she stayed away. Uh, she also really loved to play fetch, sort of. Right, so I'd throw the ball, she'd run, grab the ball. She was so excited, she was ready to jump out of her fur excited. She was like slobbering teeth and blah, and chase the ball, she'd get it, she'd come back, she'd be so excited, but she wouldn't let go. Right, she'd put her muzzle in my hand with the ball and I'd grab the ball and that would be it. She would hold on and she'd kind of do this. I'm like, I'm not, I'm gonna tug of war with you. And then I put my hand back on it and, and, and I'd say release, you know, all the stuff. She was actually trained too. She was supposed to do this, but she couldn't bring herself to do it. And so this was like she lived for playing a fetch and we only got half of a round done because she couldn't bring herself to release. She couldn't dive into the water. She couldn't release the ball. And what was particularly ironic was she was a Labrador retriever. So she was literally bred. Her DNA had been literally shaped for generations to jump into water, swim out, get something, bring it back to her master, and drop it at his feet. That's why I called her a dumb, 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 dumb dog. Everything in her wanted to. You could see how excited she would get. How it was, It's wired into her DNA. It's what she's made for, and yet she still couldn't bring herself to release. She couldn't bring herself to dive in. She wanted to, but she was afraid. And I was thinking about her this week because I think there's a parallel to my life sometimes and maybe to yours too. And I want to ask, are you, you, forgive the expression, I just mean it as a pet name, 
Are you a dumb, 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 dumb person? Right? Am I a dumb, 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 dumb person? Because there are things that I'm made for, things that I'm designed for, things that will be my greatest fulfillment and joy. And, and at times I can see that and I can even get excited about it. And yet I can't bring myself to dive in. And I can't bring myself to let go. I can't bring myself to release. I can't. As much as I want to, I still try to hold on to control. Now, as we come to this morning's passage, that is going to be the really sharp point on the applicational edge that God wants us to get. The words themselves are fairly straightforward. He's continuing the argument, saying Jesus is better, um, and we'll be able to understand that just walking through, but the, the application point is, so what does that matter for me? It's really going to come down to, um, does that change me? I was made for something, am I ready to dive in? Am I, am I ready to release control and actually enjoy the fullness of what it is that God's inviting me into, which is a lot harder than it sounds, actually, even though that's, that's what we're made for? It's amazing, it's ironic, it's really hard to do. So as we, as we pick up the thread here, um, if you're just joining us, or just to remind you, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christian um, brothers and sisters, and they are Jewish background, so they have grown up with the covenant of God and the word of God and the prophets and all of the great things that God uh, brought into this world through those people, and then they have now understood that Jesus has come and taken and built on that and taken it to a new level, in fact, so that while God is not changed and he still works with people, there's a whole new interface, a whole new connection point that's radically different coming through Jesus, and it takes all of that great heritage they had, it brings it to completion and takes it to a whole new place. And these people are now experiencing um, persecution. They're experiencing pushback, it's getting hard. And ironically, unlike most eras of history, it's actually easier to be Jewish than Christian. And so there's this temptation that they would draw back, that they would kind of minimize the fact that they're really followers of Jesus and just lean into their ethnic heritage. Um, There's this uh, temptation, perhaps even for some, to walk away from their faith and to hide. And so as he's been sharing, he's been saying, look, you can't do that. It's not who you are. It's not right. It's not good. And besides that, Jesus is the ultimate. Why would you walk away from him? Why would you minimize him? Why would you duck and cover? Why would you hide? Why would you distance? The first few verses, say, of chapter one, Jesus is actually God. He's the perfect representation of God in this world because he's God in the flesh. Chapter two, much of it talks about how Jesus is perfectly human, too. And he brings those two things together in a way that meets us and corrects us and helps us and rescues us. He dies on our behalf because we need a savior. He dies because our enemy needs to be conquered. He dies to give us freedom and then he rises again and offers that to us. We are now the family of God. That's all in the background. That's all that these people have experienced and because it's gotten hard, they're pulling back and he's saying, don't, don't do that. Remember these precious truths. And in chapter three, it, it kind of pivots. Up to this point, he's been saying, Jesus is better than the angels because angelic beings were part of their uh, faith understanding, part of the the deliverance system that God used to say, here's what you need to understand. 
And so angels are literally the highest of created beings, and he's saying they're amazing. He's not denigrating the angels. He's saying they're amazing, but Jesus is better. He eclipses them. It's a whole different order. Right now he's going to shift, and he's going to turn and focus on Moses, who is the greatest of humans, if you will. Right? I think, just trying to be somewhat objective, you'd have to put him on the short list. If you were to just say, the most influential, the most significant, the most powerful, the most iconic, the most um, meaningful, impacting, pick your, pick your adjective, person to ever walk the planet, Moses would have to be on the short list and probably I could take away a hand. And I might even be able to start taking away fingers. Right, he's, he's super significant. The writer's not down on Moses either, he's very high on Moses. That actually just makes it all the more striking. Moses is so amazing, and yet Jesus is so far beyond him. Why? Why would you distance yourself from Christ? Okay, that's, that's the fundamental argument. So let's pick it up in verse 1, and we'll just unpack it as we go. And then we'll get to our big question uh, we can wrestle with for our lives. So therefore, holy brothers, uh, and that's a collective, right? Holy sisters and brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Okay, just stop there for a second. Let's understand what we just read. You share a heavenly calling. You are part of this kingdom of heaven. And you are holy, and you are brothers and sisters, right? So there's this dynamic that says you are part of a new reality. You're a new people, this new family of God, and that is a holy family. And holy is not primarily about ethics or morality. Those are the outflow of holiness, right? Ethics matter, morals matter. Moral purity is an important thing. But this is going more fundamental than that. You've been set apart. You are marked by God. You are distinctive. Because of that, of course, you should live in moral purity and all the other things that we would normally understand for holiness. But scripturally, it's more fundamental than that. It's more uh, foundational. It's like you are different. So remember that. As you're thinking about, because it's gotten hard, as you're thinking about drawing back or putting distance between yourself and Jesus, you're different. You are part of the kingdom of heaven. You're a new family, and that's all because of Christ. So consider Jesus. Give some serious thought to who he is. Before you just keep walking in the pathway that you're on, slow down. Remember Christ and what he's done and who he is that made you this. Then he says about Jesus, he is the apostle and high priest of our confession who is faithful to him who appointed him. So he's faithful to God and he's an apostle and a high priest. Now, apostle is a word that's used technically of the 12, but it's a more broad term than that. It means he's he's an emissary. He's a representative. God sent him on a mission. Jesus was an apostle in that sense. So was Moses for that matter. Right? They're not the 12, but they are on a mission from God. And he's saying Jesus came on a mission. And he came as high priest. And, and we've unpacked that a little bit. We'll unpack that a whole lot more as we go through the book. But the high priest is the one who is uh, representing the people to God and God to the people. He's the one that brings them together. He's the one that makes the connection possible. He's the one that purifies the people so that they're not obliterated by a holy God. And he's the one who 
makes that bridge. And he's saying that's Jesus. He was sent on a mission from God. He was faithful to God. He did what his mission was. And that resulted in us being brought together. So consider Jesus because he's done that. He was faithful just as, the middle of verse 2, just as Moses was also faithful in God, all God's house. So Moses is faithful. The people are going to immediately latch on to Moses. Yeah, Moses is good. Right. Moses is really amazing. Jesus is like that, only he's better. Verse 3, Jesus, excuse me, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. He's counted worthy of more glory. Why? Well, he's been counted worthy of as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Jesus has more glory because he's the builder of the house. Moses was just part of the house. House, don't picture a building, picture a household, a people. God is building a people for himself. Moses was one of those people, and from among those people, he served his role. Jesus is not just one of those people, he's the creator of those people. That's why he has more glory, right? You see an amazing building, and you, and, and you might be really blown away by it. If you meet the builder, you go, wow, how did you think of that? How did you do that? It's like, this is a whole different level. Jesus is that level. Moses is part of the household. Jesus is the builder. And then there's this subtle connection. Remember, he's God. He doesn't draw that tight, but he makes it really clear. Look, God's the builder of everything. Jesus is the builder of the house of God. God's the builder of everything. Do the math. So verse five, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. There's a contrast. Moses is faithful in the house. Pay attention to the preposition. He's in the household and he's a servant. Jesus is faithful over the household, pay attention to the preposition, and he's the son. Moses is amazing. You want to stick with Moses, great. But you've already gone beyond that. Why would you run away from Jesus? He's a whole different order. He eclipses Moses as amazing as Moses is. You've got Jesus. Doesn't matter that it got hard. Why? Why would you cower? Why would you run? This is your source of everything. He is the son over the house that you're a part of. And then he finishes by saying this. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Right? He's the builder of the house. He's the son over the house. We're the house. That's what we need to understand. That's who we are if we hold fast. Now, let me just unpack that for one second so that we understand what he's doing. Scripture is actually 
pretty clear in my view that when I am brought into the family of God, it is a work of God that I write, respond to in faith. And it's not, it's not writing on me. It wasn't writing on me to get me there, and it's certainly not writing on me to keep me there. I am now part of God's family. That is a forever change that's happened. And nothing will ever threaten that. Right? I have been predestined to be conformed to the image of God by the Spirit of God. I have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world and he already has a path of life laid out for me. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you and I ordained you that you would go and that you would bear fruit that would remain. And he also said, everyone that comes to me, I will never cast out. Right, so I am secure as part of the family of God that is taught repeatedly in scripture. However, it is not taught here. And that's really important. Hebrews 1 is not, or Hebrews 3 is not teaching that. It's certainly not denying that. It's not teaching something else. That would be false. But he pulls up short of that. Why? I mean, he could rescue them from a tension point by saying, of course, we all know. We all know that if you're a child of God, that's a forever thing but he pulls up short of that. Why? Because he wants them in the tension point. It's like, this is the family of God, and yet you're not acting like the family of God. What's going on? Sometimes people think they're in the family of God, and they're not, and they need to evaluate themselves. Paul says, examine yourself, prove to your own selves that you are legit. Right? Jesus says there will be people who say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we do all these amazing things? And I'll say, I never knew you. Right? There are people who think they're part of the family of God that actually aren't. They're not secure because they're not part of the family. And they don't even recognize that. There's also people within the family who are legitimately apart, but they're acting nothing like it. Totally out of, out of phase. And his purpose is to say, wait, that doesn't make sense. You have got to lay hold of, you've got to hold fast to the reality of who you are in Christ and what Jesus has done for you. You can't run from that. Okay, that's what he's trying to, trying to draw them to. So he leaves it in this tension point. He doesn't answer the question. He doesn't let them off the hook. He wants them on the hook because that's where their heart will be open to really listen. Okay, now that section of scripture is pretty straightforward. There's not a lot more that, I mean, we could develop a few more things, but that actually kind of covers what he's saying there. The question really becomes, kind of with the people of old were left on the hook, saying, how am I holding fast? What does my life look like? Am I actually behaving like one who's in the household of God? Am I in the household of God? And, And in that In that contrast he draws between Moses and Jesus, I think he gives us the most fruitful place to look this morning because it is my experience that one of the greatest obstacles to people actually coming into a genuine relationship with Christ and one of the greatest obstacles to ongoing growth in my relationship with Christ is the same dynamic and that is that I have not come to grips with Jesus is a son over the house. Follow the logic. Jesus is a son over the household. I 
am part of the household. Therefore, Jesus is over me. Right? That's a, that's a straight-up syllogism that works. That's the flow of what he's presented there. But if we listen to that, we go, all right, Jesus is over the household. Well, of course. I'm part of the household. Yeah, that's true. Jesus is over me. Really? There's the rub point. There's the rub point, and there's the rub point that sometimes keeps people from ever actually entering into the household because they never resolve that. And those of us that are in the household, that becomes this constant tension point and even battleground. So let's, let's delve into that. Starting with those of us that are actually part of the household, that, that's the most direct connection with who he's talking to. He says, hold fast. Hold fast to what you have believed. Hold fast to this reality of who Jesus is, the hope, the promise. Hold fast to all of that. And the thing highlighted here is, by the way, he's in charge. He is the sovereign Lord. So let's start there. Hold fast to the sovereignty of God in my life. How am I doing with that? That's a great place to start. Because it's, it's funny how I can be a child of God and espouse godly things in so many arenas and I can have blind spots and I can, I can have areas that aren't submitted to God and they can erupt in all kinds of crazy sometimes. I'll give you an example. We were in Ecuador a couple of weeks ago. You know that, we already told you some of those stories. I was in an elder meeting and one of the elders got up and left the meeting to take a phone call, which is not normal behavior in elder meetings, here or there. And when he came back, he was obviously troubled. What's going on? Well, this particular elder uh, is finishing up a work amongst a tribal group down in the Amazon basin. He lives up in the mountains because the church itself is well-established, the leaders are leading, and he's just kind of equipping them and finishing some translation work, and so it actually works quite well from Quito. But he makes regular trips down into the Amazon basin working with this tribal group, and one from the group called him to talk about some challenges they were having. And so as he was obviously dis, you know, distressed by what was going on, and so people probed, and here's what's actually going on. There are believers in their church, church members who got into a gun battle with each other. Really? No wonder you're distressed. And here's how it came down. There's a lot of oil in their tribal area. Who gets to drill? What happens with the money? Right, so while the gun battle part seems a little bit extreme, let's just back up from there and see what's driving it. They had a massive rift over politics and prosperity. That's not actually so distant, is it? And what had happened was, not that there weren't better or worse solutions, but people had elevated those issues to where that was God. And they were willing to violate the most fundamental reality of walking in step with Jesus, because that was more important. Jesus wasn't over the house at all. Politics was, prosperity was. There was another part to the conversation, because not only is this happening amongst the adults, but their children, not the little children, their adolescent and young adult children, 
or experiencing horrible demonic manifestations. All kinds of wacky and wicked stuff had broken out. And it had broken out because of a game on TikTok. Somebody in their arena decided, wouldn't it be cool to have a game where you film yourself doing and post it on TikTok and everyone will see it and then they'll do their, it's kind of one of those things, right? Only the stuff they're doing is self-mutilation, praying to Satan, just horrible things like that. These are the children in the believing homes. What's happened? Some voice, some, somebody's opinion other than Jesus is most important. He's not over their house at all. Somebody else who can confer cool on them is over their house. Uh, Bible Society, American Bible Society released a um, report, just released it, and it said um, regular reading of scripture dropped dramatically last year. Uh, Every single year from 2011 to 2021, the statistic for American adults was essentially the same. 50% hit the mark. And then suddenly in 2022, it dropped from 50% to 39% in one year. Wow. I guess we don't care what God says. What's even more distressing is that the bar was so abysmally low. To read regularly for that survey, you had to open your Bible and read it three times a year. Wow. Jesus is not Lord over those houses, obviously. Now, obviously, some of those people would not claim to be. Right? And, and we should not expect those who aren't part of the household of God to act like they're part of the household of God. We need to understand that. But how much of that seeps into our own worlds? And how many other things get in? I have just been trying to think through what are the things where it's like, wow, something's drifted here. I was interacting with somebody just fairly recently that I have interacted with for years who I thought was a believer. Uh, you know, over the last season, I'm, I'm not as convinced as I used to be but I, I can't see in anyone's heart. So let me just be really clear about that. I can't even see it in my own heart perfectly. Jeremiah makes that really clear. Our hearts are deceitful, right? So I'm not so much saying this guy's messed up or this gal's messed up. And you know, I'm just saying, here's what it looks like. And it sure rings true to my experience of me and the world around me. What are we gonna do about this, right? So here's somebody who has essentially, as far as I can tell, shipwrecked their faith. It's just, essentially meaningless. They've got some of the external structures, but I don't see any vitality or vibrancy whatsoever. And I know where it started because they told me. There was a choice that they made a while back where somebody was more important to them than God and they started rationalizing unbelievable things. In that moment, Jesus wasn't over the house. This other person was. How's our prayer life? How much of our prayer life is spent telling God what he ought to do to make the world a better place? Because we know, and you just, if you just start, if you just start hitting the marks, God, the world would be better and my life would be better. We're, we're commanded to share our requests, right? We're commanded to intercede. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But how much of our life becomes this series of here's what God needs to do, here's what God needs to do, here's what God needs to do, and it just shows in how we pray. It's always telling God, here's what you ought to do. It's like, somewhere along the way, we gotta be careful because we may slip over a line and he's no longer over the house, we're over him somehow. Uh, Another friend I've been concerned about seems to be making choices that are absolutely contrary to who he is, who I understand him to be, who he is as a follower of Christ. And as far as I can tell, it's because pleasure wins. Pleasure is over the house, not Jesus. Right? We, we can rationalize things. We can redefine things. I mean, we, in, in practice, we've reduced the Ten Commandments to the eight suggestions and two, I'll do my bests. Jesus isn't over the house. But that's the point, isn't it? Don't abandon Jesus. He's even greater than Moses. Moses is a servant in the house. He's, he's given so much help, so much good. He's brought the revelation of God. But Jesus is over the house. He's brought you into the family. He's building the family. He's empowering you in the family. And he's in charge. He's over the house. Is he? I was on Facebook looking up something, and uh, something popped up. You know how you get notifications or whatever. And so, oh, there's somebody I haven't checked in on in a while. Actually, if it's on Facebook, I haven't checked on anyone in a long time. So if you're posting on Facebook, I'm sorry, I have no idea what you're doing. Every once in a while I get on there and then I may check. And so here's somebody I hadn't heard anything from for a very long time. And I get on their their Facebook and and it just kind of draws me in. I'm just distressed. Distressed at what I see. Because what I see is 180 degrees out of phase of who I knew them to be. And it didn't take any research. It's right there, really obvious on the Facebook page itself, what flipped. Pain. They had a pain that was so great, it took over the house. They started redefining God. They started redefining what God thought. They started redefining their lives because they were trying to make sense of it, but Jesus wasn't over the house. Happens so many times. I'm learning this in my own life. Even things that I thought, oh, you know, I've, I've, been, I, I've been walking now as a Christian. I've been following Christ up and down like everyone else I know, but um, mostly up by his grace. 55 years now. Long, a long track record. And there are things that have popped up recently. I go, oh, man, <laughs> I guess I got to redefine what comfort is again. Things about my kids, I'm like, oh, Lord, I thought I had resolved that. Oh, I guess I got to deal with that again because God's got to be over the house, not my comfort, not my plan, not my children, not my health, not my retirement, not my pleasure. And the thing is, he's such a wonderful master of the house. He's the one that's opened everything. Remember the story of the dog? It's not just random. It's actually a really good analogy. She was made to do exactly what she was resisting because she was afraid of diving in, she was afraid of letting go of control, and she robbed herself because that's what she was made for. How many times, how many things crop up? Maybe for you it's a behavior. Is 
Jesus over the house or is your mouth over the house? How many of us can just destroy people with what we say? Is Jesus over the house? Is your lust over the house? You can fill in the blank. You know the battles that you have. And and we all have battles. It's not about that. It's not saying, well, if you were really good, you wouldn't have any battles. No, it's what are the terms of the battle? If you give away the battle at the beginning, you lost. Moses was a servant in the house. Jesus is the son over the house. We're part of the house. He's over us. Hold fast. Don't let anything take his place. When things start taking his place, that's when everything goes sideways in life. And that's what ruins my walk with him. That's actually what's threatening the people that he's writing to. They're scared. Fear, pain, hard, that's what's over the house. He's trying to remind them, come away from there. Get away from that edge. That's not helping you. That's true for me too. Is it for you? Consider Jesus. He's amazing. Why would I distance myself from him? Why would I trust anyone, including myself, more than him? Here's the other side. That's the most direct connection, but I think there's some of us who need to hear this other part too. It's not that I need to hold fast. I need to lay hold in the first place. This is saying, here's what it is in the people of God. This is what God has done for you in Christ. He's died for you. He's conquered sin and death and Satan. He's rescued you. Have you laid hold of that? Right? My relationship with God is on him. There's nothing whatever that I can do. I'm broken, I'm frail, I'm rebellious, I'm sinful. I may not feel rebellious, but I am. Fundamentally, that's the problem we all have. That is the fundamental sin. I want to be God. I don't articulate it that way sometimes, but that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm in charge, I decide, I know what's best. Here's what I want, and here's what we're going to do. Those are all prerogatives for God, and I'm stepping into his territory, and then I'm saying, why don't you come into my life? There's no room for him to come into my life because that's who he is, and I'm being that. That's a huge stumbling point for people. I've, I've seen that again and again. I was sharing Christ with somebody, a friend, a while back. We'd walked it through a number of times because they were really interested. They were really searching. They were really open. They really believe But when we talked about this idea of saying, you know, at the end of the day, the fundamental separating sin is our rebellion, I have to surrender. Blindfolded, hands up, surrender. They took a deep breath and said, whoa, that's hard. And it is, it's not not complicated, it's very simple. Gospel's incredibly simple. But laying hold of it's really hard because I have to just let go. I don't want to let go. I want to keep holding the ball. I want to play fetch, but I want to hold the ball. I can't do both. I have to let go. Another friend I was uh, sharing Christ with 
over a season, quite a season actually, I did have the privilege eventually of baptizing him. But the conversation kept coming back to this. It's about you surrendering your right to be God, letting God be God. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross in your place? Yes, I do. Do you believe that you're sinful? Yes, I do. Do you believe that the only hope that you have is through the cross of Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. Do you believe there's nothing you can do to merit it? Yes, I do. Do you believe that, that God is gracious and will forgive you if, you if you repent and trust him? Yes, I do. So what's the hang up? I don't want to let go. I want what he's offering, but I am having a hard time letting go. Conversation after conversation after conversation. Then we finally had a conversation that he kind of started off by saying, well, I finally gave up. It's like, awesome. You lost, so you won. Right, this wrestling match. Think about Jacob. Remember the story of Jacob in Genesis? God himself takes on human form and wrestles with him. Now, God chose that human form very intentionally. And it, we're told in the text that God, in his human form, could not defeat Jacob. Really? I mean, come on. No, really, he couldn't do it because when he stayed within the confines of what he had manifested in himself of, it was perfectly matched. Jacob was a guy who was always the smartest guy in the room, and he was an absolute beast physically, and he was leaning into those things all the time, and the whole first part of his story is him trying to grab from God what God is trying to give him. And so finally, God shows up and has an all-night wrestling match, absolutely perfectly matched, so that Jacob utterly exhausts himself and sees the utter futility of that. Once that's spent, he goes, boink, and suddenly everything changes. Jacob lost the wrestling match and won everything. That's when the blessing came. There's this, there's this fundamental issue that I don't want to let go. I don't want to dive in. Even though I want this so much, I want to maintain control, and I'm fighting with God all the time over that, and that's what's keeping me from God. It's when he wins that I win. And I don't know where you are this morning, but I suspect there's some here, maybe God is speaking to your heart. I, I believe, and in fact, I, I'm convinced, I, again, I can't see into anyone's heart, but there's multiple people in this room right now and in the room last hour that I pray for on a fairly regular basis by name. Because from what I can tell, you're excited to be a part of this, but you actually aren't part of God's family. You've never come to that place. I could be wrong. I hope I am. But if I'm right, I hope he's speaking to you right now. In fact, I hope this is really sinking in. Not Robert speaking to you, but God saying, are you listening? That's you. I don't want you to show up on the doorstep saying, but look at this and this and this. I went to church. I did this. And I have to say, I never knew you. I want you to surrender. I want you to trust I want to transform you. I want you to be in my family. And that's what I'm offering. I've watched, I, I, I know I'm going to say this and immediately people are going to try to go really stoic. Don't do that because you can't hide it. But there's been more than a few times I've watched as I'm talking and it's God working, it's not me. And you can just see somebody on their face. You can't hide it when you're miserable, right? And there's like this, this titanic internal wrestling match going on as the gospel's being proclaimed. I, just recently, somebody was in here, and I'm like, yep, that's what's going on. Well, I, I mean, I just remember it. It's like, wow. And you're battling. You're like, ah! And you walk out thinking, I won. You lost. You lost. 
If you'd have surrendered, you'd have won. Don't do that. Just surrender. Surrendering to God is the open door to everything because then he actually gets to be God in your life and that's what you're made for. It's funny how that unfolds sometimes over time. I remember more than one person that started, I'm, I'm giving you away all these secrets and now everyone's gonna be all awkward. But usually they start on the wings, one of the, and I'm, this isn't you, this is somebody like you maybe, but not you, okay? And I've watched, they'll show up and whatever God's working in their life and they're here, and, and it's, this is not exaggerating, more than one person I remember, the whole time I'm preaching, they're looking like this, down, up at me, kind of glaring, down again. And you just watch, because there's also something going on inside. There's a war, there's a battle. And over time, the arms uncross a little bit, now it's just kind of cool instead of daggers, and then you see him move forward, and then they come, you know, and I remember one of them, I, I remember when he came to faith because it was a, a service where we actually uh, just said, hey, if you've been thinking about this for a long time, we have baptismal waters here, we've already done a baptism, but we're ready to do another one. You know, if you want to trust Christ, that's what you do in your heart, we'll baptize you right now. And he like ran from his seat to where he was supposed to go. He's like, wow, finally, surrender and victory. But it's a battle. So let me ask you, is there a battle going on in your soul right now? You're a terrible God. Stop, just stop. You can't run your universe, it's going to collapse. And I'm not being harsh, this is true for me too. Right? It's not what we're designed for. We are designed for a relationship with God, one that will be meaningful, one that will be fruitful, one that will be enduring, one that offers incredible freedom and incredible joy, but it starts with him being God, not me. It starts with me surrendering my pretensions to being able to rule my universe and me owning that I'm broken and I am sinful and I am wicked at the core. I don't need to be rescued from my circumstances. I am my circumstances. I need to be rescued from me. And I can do nothing to earn it, to buy it, to grow into it. I just have to surrender. It's all been done. Jesus came and he died my death on the cross. That's why it's so important chapter one establishes he is God, chapter two establishes he is also human and he went to the cross as the God man for me and for you because he loves me, because he loves you. And he's saying, I wanna make you, I wanna build you into the family and I wanna shape you and I wanna encourage you and I wanna unleash you to be everything you're intended to be but you have to have this relationship. And the relationship starts with, I'm over. I'm over the household. Come into my household. Receive what I've done. Own your sin. Repent of it. Lord, I'm a mess. Forgive me. Change me. I can't change myself. Understand, by the way, that you're under condemnation. Right? It's, not, it's not just tragic. Scripture is very clear that to be in rebellion against God is to lie under his wrathful condemnation. That's not where I want to be. That's what the cross is about. It's about Jesus taking the wrath to. Surrender and trust. Is Jesus over your house? I'm going to ask the ushers to come. We're going to pray. For those of you that are part of the household of God, maybe there's something that's time to re-up on. 
there an area or just kind of a drift? It's like, I don't know. I know he's over the house, but I, it doesn't feel like he's really over the house very actively right now. Lord, help me with that. If you have a particular battle, you know what that is. There may be more to the battle than just acknowledging it, but it starts there. And if you're in a place where you're actually battling whether you want to be rescued by Christ at all, <clears throat> it's actually a battle for your soul. You win by losing. You win by surrendering. Will you do that? I had a friend that I shared Christ with many, many times. He was very interested, very kind. We had a good friendship. But he kept coming up to that point and saying, no, 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 not ready, not ready, not ready. My last visit with him was in the hospital, and he was dying. The last conversation was, will you surrender and trust? And his last words to me were, I'm not ready. Last thing I heard from him. It wasn't long after that before he passed. I, I don't know. You know, it's between him and the Lord. What's in his heart, I can't say. But I know that happens all the time. Don't wait to feel ready. Surrender. That's how you win. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would work in our hearts. We all need you as Lord and Savior. Pray that you would help us Lord, maybe somebody watching online, maybe somebody in this room just really feeling torn. Give them grace. Would you bring them to the place of, of releasing and of diving in, saying, here I am, I'm yours. Lord, would you transform lives today? And Lord, would you help us all to re-up, even as we sing these songs. Pray that you would be our vision. In Jesus' name, amen.